What's that I hear? Stem Fatal is bringing holiday cheer? That's right, Steminists. We have a little surprise for you. If you don't follow us on Twitter or Instagram, you may not have seen our dear friend Caitlin Friesen's amazing cartoons of every woman we have discussed on the pod. From Mary Annie to Edith Clark, Caitlin has been recreating famous portraits of the women in a femme fatale theme with backgrounds or details featuring their scientific interests. We love these drawings and want everyone to see them, and we love these women and want everyone to know about them. So starting Monday... Uh, today, December 10th, we are going to be selling stickers online portraying all of Caitlin's art, with any proceeds from purchases going toward a charity benefiting women in STEM. Later in the week, we'll also have mugs available for purchase. One will feature our logo and our signature sign-off, Go Stimulate Yourself! And others will feature a few select ladies in STEM with short bios. You can find all this stuff at redbubble.com slash people slash stem fatal pod and actually redbubble currently has a special where you can buy 10 stickers for half the price so what better reason to get a bunch of women in stem stickers and stick them all over the place get the word out about women in stem while supporting women in stem financially yay so again stickers are available starting today at redbubble.com slash people slash stem fatal pod and we'll announce when mugs are available later this week. And as usual, go stimulate yourself. Okay, back to the pod. Welcome to STEM Fatale, your women in science history podcast. Yes, my name is Emlyn. <laughs> uh, like Gremlin. Yeah, and my name is Emma, like Dilemma. And it's been a little bit. Yeah, we definitely already have more enthusiasm than our last episode. <laughs> we're very tired. Where we were both like falling asleep. Though there were some good characters in that. Wait. You mean like voices that we did? No. Oh, okay. Do we like, do character voices? No. <laughs> we were yeah. so delirious we were doing character voices. No. Just yeah, everybody so was in many that. people. Dostoevsky, Darwin, Elliot. Yeah. So Karl good. Marx. Karl Marx. What an app. What yeah, an app. I know. It was good. <laughs> All right. So this week it's gonna be a little leaner. Ooh. Um, because there's n- I could not find that much information on her. <gasps> But what a shame. I know. I'm hoping that more will come out soon. Oh, weird. And you'll understand why I say <laughs> what that. A weird thing to hope. I mean, yeah. Sh- shortly. Okay. Um, so, Emma, wh- what's the big deal about carbon dioxide? It's increasing in our <laughs> atmosphere. And why is that important? Um, because it's causing global warming. Yes. And climate change. Via greenhouse. Yeah greenhouse gases um so my question to you my second question i guess is who discovered that carbon dioxide was the main cause of greenhouse gas or the greenhouse effect a lady a long time ago yes you got it i think i've heard of this but i don't know her name this is a recent well i'm just gonna we're gonna start our story off a little differently this week okay 
So we're going to start a bit more recently than we usually start. Interesting. So I'm going to take you back to 2010. What was happening in your life in 2010? I was a junior in college. Uh (laughs) I think I was studying a lot Mm -hmm. and very stressed. Yeah. I had Colt 45 as my ringtone, I think, in 2010. I don't think I know what that is. Is that a band? Colt 45. Oh. (laughs) It's like a big weed song. A big... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because when I think Evelyn, I think big weed songs. (laughs) I don't know why. I was like, that's how I woke up every morning. It was my alarm. That's hilarious. I for some I think reason, it's two fish hands. I don't think that's what the lyrics are. I for some reason have been listening to the song Regulate by Warren G and Nate Dog a lot lately. I don't know who any of those people are. It's okay. You shouldn't. Okay. Uh the it's, it's What does just regulate like, sound like? Alright. The regulators. So it's kinda like, like that. Deep. Okay. <laughs> it's an right. old hip hop so, song. So, so we're in 2010. Yeah. Yeah. And Ray Sorensen, a retired petroleum geologist, he's in the base he's in his basement in Oklahoma. Huh. And in this basement, Sorensen has over 300 pre-Civil War era technical books, especially copies of the annual scientific discovery. Oh. And so I'm imagining this basement is like dusty and full of these old leather-bound volumes, but so while he's down there, he has these old scientific reports, and he's really fascinated by them. That's why he's been collecting yeah. them. And so one day in 2010, Sorensen's reading through an 1857 volume of the annual scientific discovery, Dang. as one does Yes, in your free time. And the annual of scientific discovery was a serial book-length review of the scientific accomplishments and progress of the preceding year. Oh, that's cool. And it attempted to cover the full breadth of scientific discovery in that year. Oh, my gosh. From all scientific (laughs) journals of North America and Europe. Back in the day when one volume could actually cover what everyone had done. I can't. That just can't exist now. Can you imagine trying to summarize all of the research of a given year from all no. the fields of North it America. It would have and to be like a new set of encyclopedias, <laughs> all just about science yeah. every year. Yeah, it would be crazy. <laughs> now, while Sorensen is reading this book, this fascinating book, uh, he comes across an unfamiliar name <gasps> Our Lady of the Week, Ooh. Mrs. Eunice Newton Foote. Oh, wow. Have you heard of her? Yeah. Yes. She was on Twitter. Like, there was like a big Twitter storm. Yeah. Not Twitter storm, that seems negative. She's been on Twitter a lot recently. Okay. Um, and by the end, you'll kind of figure out why. But so lost in time, 153 years later, wow. Sorensen rediscovered the first scientist to make the connection between carbon dioxide and climate change. Crazy. Um, and so before we start, I think it's important to note that the concept of the greenhouse gas effect was discovered in the 1820s okay. by uh, Joseph Fourier. And Eunice's work was important because it connected the greenhouse gas effect to a specific gas in the atmosphere. So she didn't oh. discover the greenhouse gas effect. She discovered what was causing it, what, you know, element, what gas in the atmosphere. All right. Now let's go back in time. So Eunice Newton Foote, I guess her name was Eunice Newton at the time, was born in Goshen, Connecticut on July 17th, 1819. And her father was Isaac Newton, 
Junior. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, Junior. <laughs> but related? No, I don't think oh. so. Nobody said anything. I'm really working with some Actually, slim pickings in terms of like information. Okay. But Isaac Newton was like the 1500s in England, I yeah. think. They could be a descendant. I don't think Newton's probably that uncommon of a name, so I don't know. Isaac Newton Jr. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was a farmer, and her mother was Thurza. Never Ooh. heard of that name, but I like it. Let's Thurza name. that name come mm-hmm. back. Yeah. Thurza. Thurza. And Eunice had six sisters and five brothers. Dang. So she was another uh, cheaper by the dozen type of girl. <laughs> Um, and I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything more about that. Her fam, yeah. yeah. And so Eunice attended when she was uh, 17 to 19, she attended the Troy Female Seminary f- from 1836 to 1838. Okay. And at this time, she was described as by someone, I don't know who, uh, <laughs> 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 A fine portrait and landscape painter. She was an inventive genius and a person of unusual beauty. Oh. Yeah. Do you have any pics? Uh, no, I you. don't. Yeah. I'll look to find... There's a couple pictures I that people post, and I don't know if that's actually her, but I will delve yeah. into it for when this gets I posted. I like that you say unusual beauty, and I just go, prove it. <laughs> <laughs> Show me a picture. Uh and so while she was at the seminary, she was influenced by the textbooks of Almira Hart Lincoln Phelps. Have, yeah. you, heard, have you heard of her? No. Uh, she was a female pioneer of women in science, botany expert, and third what? female member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Whoa. Guess we're going to have to yeah. do her at some oh point. Oh, my God. It's just more and more know. people coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> so, yeah, she seems cool. Yeah. Uh, and... While at the seminary, it appears that a nearby science college invited her to attend. Don't know what college. And the- <laughs> nearby science college. <laughs> this is all the information I could find. Um, That's so vague. Like, how do they know a college invited her to attend, but they don't know the name of the college? I mean, it could be if I went deeper like, into. Yeah. Like, I don't know what I would have had to dig into but there might be like archived letters or something like that i wasn't i mean yeah that's a lot i got i gotta get my phd people (laughs) i'm working with what is available it's hard to get access to those things online too they don't always scan them or anything yeah so there at this undisclosed science college she learned experimental (laughs) techniques and chemistry how yeah i don't know anything more about what she studied there okay and then at the age of 22, we presume that she married Alicia Foote. It seems what the evidence suggests. And what evidence? <laughs> <laughs> well, I she... Um, all assumptions. We know her name was Eunice Newton Foote. It makes sense that she married this guy. But there's no, like, I don't think it's clear. Yeah, there's not wedding photos. Yeah. There's yeah, not, or like, like um, an invitation or Yeah, something. I don't know if they found her, their, like, wedding documents yeah, or whatnot. Yeah, right. Okay. Anyway, this is so... How she met Alicia or where, we also don't know. Uh, And Alicia, at some point in his life, was a judge, a statistician, and an inventor. Wow. And Alicia and Eunice lived in Seneca Falls, New York, at this time when they got married. Nice. And a year later, Eunice had her first child, Mary, and two years later, in 1944, had another child, Augusta. And side note, Mary Foote, so the fir- the oldest child, yeah. went on to marry John B. Henderson, mm. 
who served as the U.S. Senator from Missouri in the 1860s and who introduced the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which abolished slavery. That's pretty cool. So there's some cool lineage yeah. of the foots. <laughs> the foots. The foots. It's, and It's feet, Emlyn. <laughs> so the next recorded information I have about her is in 1948. What? That's like four years later. I don't know. What 18. She... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what if she just discovered yep. these things like when she's 120 or whatever? Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> All of this says 19, but whenever I say 19, I mean 18. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <That's> so <hilarious. laughs> It's like, huh, that doesn't sound right. So yeah, so for the next four years... I really have no idea what she was doing. And I don't know how this led her to physics or atmospheric sciences. Mm, okay. But what we do know is in 1948, 1848, <laughs> Eunice Foote served on the editorial committee for the Seneca Falls Convention. And this was an influential meeting early on in the women's rights movement. Ooh. And during this convention, Eunice became one of the signatories to the Seneca Falls Declaration of Sentiments. And this called for, quote, the securing to women and equal participation with men in the various trades, professions, and commerce. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. And this document was then published by a nearby printing press that was run by abolish- abolitionist Frederick Douglass. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> I'm also doing some name. You can't, you're not the only one that yeah. can do some name dropping. <laughs> uh, okay. And then uh, eight years pass. Before we know anything else. Do you think... Hold on, sorry. I just licked this microphone. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> That's disgusting. It's Do you like, think... They're like bleh. furry. <laughs> yeah, I know. That there were just so, so few people then. They're all kind of famous. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there were that few people. I'm just kidding. Anyway, sorry to interrupt <laughs> with that. Really there was bad a, observation. There was a hundred people in the United <laughs> States. Um, okay, so we don't know. Then, then eight years go by. Who knows what she was doing? Yeah. There's no way. Oh, yeah, you can do that. That works. Yeah. Um, so, and then in 1856, Alicia, so that's her husband, became a member of the AAAS. Whoa. I didn't even know. It existed then. Yeah. So it's pretty old. Yeah. And then the first recorded account of her, of Eunice's activity in science is at the 10th annual meeting of the AAAS oh. in Albany on August 23rd, 1956. Oh, wow. So, so she's at this point, what, 1956? She was born in 18, eight, <laughs> 1856. So she was born in 1819. Okay. And then in 1856 is the first. Okay mention of her doing, doing science. science i mean it seems like she might have so been she's 37 reading or yeah learning things until now mm-hmm. i don't know like did she least. get any degrees like did she I don't know. did she have a a bachelor's i don't know i don't know anyways so unlike many other scientific societies the AAAS did allow amateurs and women to become members wow. i don't know if she was a member i think she was like a kind of peripheral. Yeah, it seems like member. it if she's going. Yeah. To um, astronomer Mariah Michael became the first elected female member in 1850. Hmm. But despite the society's seemingly open door policy, there were hierarchies within the society itself. 
AAAS created distinctions between male and female members by reserving the title of professional or fellow almost exclusively for men, whereas women were regarded as just members. Wow. Yeah. That's so great. (laughs) So at this 10th annual AAAS meeting, oh, AAAS stands for? For, Oh, American Association for the Advancement Uh, of Sciences, I think. Yes. Something like that. Yes. So... At this meeting, Eunice Foote's revolutionary work entitled Circumstances Affecting the Heat of the Sun's Rays was presented by Joseph Henry of the Smithsonian Institution. Why was this? Why didn't she (laughs) present her own work? It appears that being a woman, she was not allowed to present her own work at the AAAS. So she was a member. She was allowed to have her work presented, but she couldn't talk to these men and present it. why. And according to the AAAS archivist, uh, Norma Rosado Blake, uh-huh. uh, Eunice was only able to have her paper presented because her husband was a member of the society. So they're like, I guess you can have your wife oh, have great. somebody present her work. Jeez. Um, however, her husband, Alicia, at the same meeting was able to present his work also on gases at the AAAS. Cool. Yeah. So Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> fun times. I know. So before Joseph Henry presented Eunice's work, Henry uh, appended Foote's paper with his own added preface saying, science was of no country and of no sex. The sphere of women embraces not only the beautiful and the useful, but the true. Oh, I have a, there's a lot of women. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, okay. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. I mean, anyways. Okay. So that, so it was clear that a woman's work being presented was something unusual enough that it needed justification. So that's why he had this little like thing at the beginning to be like, this is why oh I'm presenting gosh. this woman's work. Oh, I'm s- I, you know, there's so many things happening now that are terrible, but I am glad I live now. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. you know, when I hear things like mm-hmm. this. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'd be up for the struggle. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you don't know any different. Yeah. But, dang. Yeah. So in this paper, Eunice demonstrated that the sun's rays interacted differently with different gases. She did this through a series of pretty simple but uh, clean experiments. Mm. So first she placed two thermometers each in a glass cylinder. So she had a thermometer in a glass cylinder and another thermometer in another glass cylinder. And using an air pump, she removed the air from one cylinder and condensed it in the other cylinder. Oh. And once both cylinders were at the same temperature, she placed them outside in the, the sun to measure the temperature variance once oh, heated. Oh, okay. To see, based on what the yeah. atmosphere was, how high the, the temperature got. And she did this for various gases, including hydrogen, CO2, and common air. And based on these experiments, she concluded, quote, the highest effect of the sun's rays I have found to be in the carbon dioxide glass. The receiver containing the gas became itself much heated, very sensibly more so than the other. And on being removed, it was many times as long to cool. Wow. And so based on these results, she also theorized that increasing increasing CO2 could cause gradual warming of the Earth's atmosphere. That's crazy. And we call this today the greenhouse effect and is the backbone of our understanding of climate change caused by CO2. Mm -hmm. And so this is huge. Like, this is the foundation of pretty much all of our climate change research because it's all based on primarily CO2, like Mm -hmm. the primary greenhouse gas. There's methane too, but like mostly CO2. 
Yeah. So according to uh, Dr. John Perlin, a research scholar at UC Santa Barbara's physics department, he says she basically laid the basis for modern climate change science. What could be more significant? Yeah. Yeah. At least for our time. Mm -hmm. Hard to say. Yeah. And in a column of the September 1856 issue of Scientific American titled Scientific Ladies, uh, (laughs) Foote is praised for supporting her opinions with practical experiments. The writers noted, uh, this, we are happy to say, has been done by a lady. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'm I'm pretty happy, too. Uh, I was like just waiting for them to say, despite being a woman. (laughs) No, uh, the Scientific American had some nice things to say about Eunice and her her studies. Additionally, an anonymous reviewer for uh, this paper by Eunice said that, quote, the columns of the Scientific American have been oftentimes graced with articles on scientific subjects by ladies, (laughs) which would do honor to men of the highest scientific reputation. And the experiments of Mrs. Foote afford abundant evidence of the ability of women to investigate any subject with originality and precision. Wow. Yeah. So Very nice. They're they I like the Scientific American. Yeah. They're like the there's some good good eggs in yeah, this seems story. Like it. However, uh-oh. She would not go on to get the credit she deserved. <gasps> Eunice's paper was left out of the society's annual proceedings publication. So, the AAAS essentially uh have a publication every year that records all the papers presented at their annual meetings okay and so her paper was not included in that year's that's so weird however her paper was published in the american journal of science and a synopsis of her paper was recorded in the annual scientific discovery book that Sorensen had so that's how he oh okay found out yeah uh however this appears to have done little for her until recently right so even though it did get published which is good because now we can look back and see her work yeah it wasn't in the journal that it wasn't in the triple as which it was supposed to be in and it kind of fell by the wayside Hmm. however (laughs) three years later and i have it says the 1900s for everything anyways in eight (laughs) three years later in 1859 the well-known irish physicist john uh tyndale published results similar to eunice's in the royal society of london I'm shaking my fist. (laughs) His work had more sophisticated experimental techniques, but came to the same conclusions as Eunice. It is unclear whether he knew of Eunice's work or not. Oh, okay. Because of his work, he has been widely accepted as the founder of modern climate science. Wow. Even though he found the same work. Right. He, he, He came to the same conclusions as Eunice. Like he, his work elaborates upon Eunice's work, yeah. but she discovered it first, and his work is kind of yeah. yeah. It's possible he didn't know, like he hadn't read any of the publications. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that would have gotten around, kind of. You know what I mean? I have I have some <gasps> some things to say about this. Oh yes. So this question of whether or not Tyndale knew of Eunice's work. And whether or not he didn't credit her uh, is one that John Perlin, the research scholar from UC Santa Barbara, who I mentioned earlier that I I quoted, uh, has thought a lot about. He Mm. says, I was curious. I spent a long time on this, whether or not there was some relationship between Eunice's work and Tyndale's work. Yeah. Then one night at 4 a.m., he says, I came up with what I say is the real damning evidence. (gasps) 
Perlin says that Eunice's paper was published in the American Journal of Science in 1856. Okay. In the same issue is a paper by Tyndale. <gasps> and this is back when you couldn't just download a single paper from an issue. Right. You got the whole you could, issue as yeah, a hard copy. Yeah, they like sent it to you, yeah. right? Yeah. So Perlin thinks it is nearly impossible that Tyndale didn't see her article. Wow. And he says, I have taken so much, pardon the word, shit for suggesting that Tyndale may have looked at Eunice's work. Yeah. Perlin added, arguing that her story is a great rallying point for today's climate and women's movements. Wow. That's really interesting. So, so yeah. There's no, there's no proof, but. He would have had to just not read the issue and be like, look at my paper yeah, in there he would and have not had to, look at anything else. And also they worked on similar enough stuff that he would have he should have, have been not... interested in what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he would have had to, I feel like, actively not yeah. look at that paper because mm-hmm. the title would have been like, oh, this is something I'm interested in, this kind of so then, stuff that's up my alley. Do you do you think he claimed he was the first person to find, you know, three years later or whatever, did he say, I'm the first or was, or I guess he just didn't acknowledge her yeah. work. I mean, he so, didn't cite it. Yeah. Because if he had cited it, she would be credited. Insane. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. So, during so there's that three-year gap between when her paper got published and when right. uh, Tyndale published his work. And some... Well, I don't have much information about what she did or how much science she did. But I'll tell you the things I do know. Okay. It appears that in 1857... Uh, Eunice wrote a paper on a new source of electrical excitation that was published in the physics and chemistry section of the Proceedings of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. That's oh, what it is. Nice. AAAS. Yeah. In 1857. So she published another paper. Yeah. And actually it got published in AAAS yeah. the preceding year. In 1860, Eunice received a patent for f- filling for the soles of boots and shoes. Oh, so she just was doing a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's unclear how successful she was yeah. in science. Like, she made this huge discovery that didn't really get appreciated. Right. That she couldn't actually present it. Then it didn't get published. It got published in this, like, side journal. Yeah. And then didn't get credited. And it's unclear if she continued to do science or not where she did it in her free time. It appears that her husband, uh, Alicia, was also kind of a climate... There wasn't climate science back then, but he also was interested in gases and was writing papers on that. So it could also be they did some collaborative work or like, I just don't know that much about... Yeah, or they did things for fun Mm -hmm. and then just Tried to publish it. Yeah, or didn't publish it. Or or didn't publish it, yeah. Yeah. Or she got discouraged. Yeah. (laughs) Also a a possibility. (laughs) So, yeah. So we don't know much else about Eunice except that she died in 1886. So there's 20 years of mystery or 30 years, actually. Yeah. Almost that. I just don't know what she did. I don't know if she kept doing science. The only two publications that people seem to be able to find are that huge climate science one and the one about excitation. But I think this is just the beginning of our knowledge of Eunice because people now know about her and are trying to figure out more because she's made this huge discovery. Yeah. 
Um, and after Sorensen found out about her incredible discovery when he was, now we're back in the basement, right, in 2010, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he wrote this small paper about her in 2011 in the AAPG Search and Discovery Journal. And Sorensen says that he's had more response to that than anything else he's ever written. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. And then... Additionally, in May 2018, so this is probably why if you were on Twitter this in the past year, you saw a bunch of stuff about her, is that um, 162 years after her paper was presented at the AAAS, UC Santa Barbara held a symposium about her work entitled Science Knows No Gender in Search of Eunice Foote, who 162 years ago discovered the principal cause of global warming. Wow. So I think they've been... Some of the information I have is based on them kind of churning up stuff. Um, yeah. And I have a feeling that somebody's going to do a deeper dive. Yeah. So that we like, get on what it. did she do? Like, we know what she did for like two years out of like 50. Yeah. I mean, how'd she get into science? What college was this? How'd what, she make money? Yeah. There's a lot of unknown things. How did they make money? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Emma. Um, yeah. You know, they Those have, fi- like... shoe filling pat that shoe filling patent. Actually, you never know. Who knows? We could be we could be stomping on Eunice Foot's legacy. No, stomping <laughs> on some foot. I know. I wonder if <laughs> this was probably what she named her shoe filling. You nice foot. Yes. Yes, <laughs> you nice foot. Uh, that was not worth <laughs> all the time it took for me to actually get that out it reminds me of when i was in new york city and this with my aunt and this man came up behind it's not really a funny story it's only funny in retrospect Uh-oh. it's kind of traumatizing at the time oh, but this man came up so behind scared. us and started snapping <laughs> like and, and went side story yeah he was like kind of hunched over you know like like you're, yeah right uh and he was like Nice legs, nice legs, show me how you kick it. Nice legs, nice <laughs> legs, show me how you kick it. And he followed us for like a block and just kept saying that. Oh my gosh, anyway. <laughs> that's insane. Nice legs, nice legs, show me how you kick it. That's crazy. That's one of my favorite things, though, to say now. Yeah, but hopefully he's only doing, to friends. Yeah. Not to I strangers. I don't harass. Don't harass people. It's not okay. Please don't harass. But yeah, I hope Eunice really monopolized the fact that her last name was foot yeah for her patents yeah i gotta know more me too was it the the foot patent the foot filling patent yeah anyways so i'm excited to see where this goes because i have a feeling we're gonna learn a lot more about her and i like this story because it's very clear like she made a very clear foundational yeah finding that super simple study super simple study revolutionary like back then also like all of the men who have like are famous a lot of the stuff they did was very simple because it was just like they thought about something in a new way Uh and did a simple study and found this like fact that nobody thought about that was revolutionary so i i like her she's great yeah i just wish i knew more yeah i wish you knew more too i know (laughs) i know i'm sorry No, i think this is good i was worried it was gonna be like a page yeah but then no it wasn't no that's so, exciting. That's Eunice cool. Foot. Eunice Newton Foot. Eunice Newton Foot. Mm-hmm. Wow. The founder of climate science, I'm going to say. Yeah, and Eunice Foot. Eunice Foot. Nice. Eunice Foot. 
but the climate science thing is way more important. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the shoe filling thing's good too, yeah. but all right. Cool. Shall we work? Work, 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 work. All right. So this is our women who work section work, where work. we uh, shout out to bad ass. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, women making history today in their respective scientific fields. Yes. What you okay. got for me today, Emma? So um, I have two shout outs, two little quickies, I guess. Uh, first one goes to Jasmine Narodi, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Oxford, who, with a team of other people, published a study this week in Current Biology on how geckos almost walk on water. Jesus geckos? No, not the basilisks, like geckos. So bas- the Jesus lizards are lizards. Mm-hmm. And there we're researching how geckos can actually like... With their foot Sort pads? of skim across water with their foot pads. I, okay, last night... I was watching this British show called Taskmaster. Oh. It's going to be really quick. I promise. Okay. And Noel Fielding's on it. I don't know. Who is the guy from the Mighty Boosh, who was old uh, Greg. Oh, 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 And one of their tasks was to make a modern miracle. And so he dressed up in a lizard suit. Wow. And uh, walked. He put a table <laughs> in a pool and then walked across the table. Oh my gosh. And tried to make it look like he was walking on water. That's amazing. As a lizard. So basilisk lizards actually are uh, bipedal. So they stand up on their hind legs when they run across water. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the Jesus lizards. I wish I could see that. Yeah. But I have a video (gasps) and uh, I'm going to... the. The whole article is open access. Awesome. So I'm going to link to it and everyone can watch this. You have a video of the geckos? I do. Yes, yes. So essentially the team analyzed high speed foot video footage of geckos running across water, which sounds like so much fun. That's so <laughs> cool. And found that they can do this by slapping the water with all four limbs to create air bubbles Um, exploiting the surface tension of the water. And so here, I'll show you what this looks like. Okay, please. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that crazy? It is. Do you see how they make these huge pockets of air when they slap their feet down? I love it. Yeah. It's awesome. Anyway, so I'll post this online and everyone can have that reaction. (laughs) And then I'm going to post me trying to do that in the the UT pool. I know. Let's just get flippers (laughs) and then we can like try to... (laughs) Oh my God. We actually should totally try to do this sometime, but maybe we won't videotape it. Anyway, the whole... There's also like... This paper is cool. They have a lot of really pretty artwork... Huh. kind of drawing how the biophysics of these geckos okay, on cool. the water and stuff it's really awesome so first shout out goes to that that really cool study i love geckos yeah so freaking cute oh yeah i like this line from their abstract tell me um geckos laterally undulated their bodies <laughs> including their submerged posterior trunk and tail generating thrust for forward propulsion much like water dragons and alligators. That's just my Friday night. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
You spend your Friday night laterally undulating your body. Uh, okay. <laughs> Generating thrust. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's uh, study number one. And Jessica Neroni, another peeps. Nice. She's first author. Okay. Second shout out goes to assistant professor Marilyn Cornelis or Cornelis and her team at Northwestern, who a couple weeks ago found out that coffee tasters are more likely to taste bitterness associated with caffeine. Coffee tasters. Coffee drinkers. Oh, coffee drinkers. <laughs> It tastes like apricot and and mm. ash. Dirt. I love <laughs> coffee, but it kind of does taste like dirt yeah, sometimes. It tastes like really good dirt. Yeah. Okay, well, here's what they did. Tell me. Okay. So they used Mendelian randomization analyses, statistics, and they looked at whether having certain genetic variants that are associated with perception of bitter substances uh, makes you more or less likely to drink coffee or other bitter liquids mm. like alcohol, like bitter alcohols yeah. and tea. So the three variants they looked at were a variant for tasting or perceiving propyl thiouracil, also called prop, which is a kind of bitter substance. Okay. Uh, quinine, uh -huh, which is very bitter, yeah, yeah, and caffeine. Okay, there are genetic variants associated with being able to perceive those three different bitter substances. Gotcha. Yeah, they looked at data and surveys from over four hundred thousand people. That's a lot basically. of people. Yeah, and they found that people who were more likely to perceive caffeine. The bitter. Yeah, the caffeine. bitter uh -huh. part of caffeine. We're more likely to drink coffee or be heavy coffee drinkers. Huh. So more than four cups of coffee a day, which is a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? Because I feel like people are turned off by the bitterness of coffee. Right. Um, but they're turned on by it. Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just trying to get this right. I'm like overthinking it <laughs> totally. So basically, like if they were more likely to taste the bitterness of caffeine, they're more likely to drink coffee. Hmm. I guess I wonder if you try, maybe if you try to drink coffee and you can't taste the bitterness, it literally tastes like mud Ugh. or dirt. Yeah. You I know, know, like maybe the bitterness is what makes it at all Yeah. good. I wonder, um, I mean, doesn't your bitterness taste kind of go away after a while? Like, I feel like coffee isn't as bitter to me as it used to be. Hmm. So I wonder how that would factor in yeah. to I, drinking coffee. Yeah, I mean, children definitely are much more aggressive yeah. against bitterness. <laughs> yeah, they're so <laughs> aggressive against that. it. <laughs> um, they're bitter about bitter Yeah, flavors. And weirdly, like, there was a, a negative association for tea between being able to taste higher caffeine bitterness hmm. and drinking tea. But they think that might be because You're those people coffee. drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you can't drink both. Yeah. And alcohol intake was only neg negatively associated with the 
uh, prop perception. Hmm. So, yeah. Nice. Anyway, that's interesting. Weird. That, yeah, yeah, it's very counterintuitive. They uh, like counterintuitive things. They they hypothesize that coffee consumers acquire a taste for or ability to t- detect caffeine given the learned positive reinforcement elicited by caffeine. But I have no idea. There's no evidence for that, really. Yeah. This is just kind of a correlational study. Nice. Yeah. Hello. That's fun. So those are my shout outs for the week. Woo woo. Go ladies. Go ladies. <laughs> ladies all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, I think that's the end of our yeah. episode. <laughs> um, thank you to Caitlin Friesen for our awesome art. And then thanks for Artichoke for our uh, intro and outro music. Yeah, yeah. And thank all of you for listening. And if you like our podcast and want to support us, please go right. Rate, review, subscribe, and then share. and share, and then go, go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>